Hi, welcome back to Gab with Gwen. This is your girl, Gwen. And I have a returning guest from an episode a couple years ago. It's been a while. We have Brittany Social Distancing. Hey, how are you? Hi, so glad to be here. Thank you for coming back. So guys, if you are a longtime old listener, not old listener, but if you've been rocking with me from the beginning, this is actually the last time Brittany was on was in July, could have been June 2018, and she was on episode 16, Don't Block Your Blessings with my cousin James, and we just had like a weird random conversation, <laughs> and I've actually referenced you recently on an episode. I've referenced you recently, I don't know if you watch I May Destroy You on HBO. Oh yeah, I watched an episode or two. Okay, so um, I do weekly reviews and commentary on this. Don't worry if you don't watch the show, guys. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I just want to uh, tell you how I referenced you. So um, it's about a, a girl of Ghanaian, Ghanaian descent in the UK. And at one point, she goes to a doctor, and he he calls her, like he references her as being of Afro-Caribbean descent. And she's like, I'm not Afro-Caribbean. I'm of African descent. And then she goes off on him because honestly, she doesn't want to hear what he's telling her. It was like about high blood pressure. So we were debating like, well, should she have been offended? Yes, language matters. Correct. She's not, you know, of Caribbean descent, although the communities are connected, you know, and it's some language matters, you know, at the end of the day, black people do tend to have issues of hypertension. However, I mentioned you because I said you uh, had mentioned on the end of the last episode, and I, I have a cousin who said this too, that there is like a hypothesis or a theory that Black people of African descent from Africa may not have the same amount of instances of hypertension as Black people in the like Caribbean and Latino and American diaspora because on the slave ships, to be able to like survive the journey, you may have retained water. And so there might be a higher propensity of hypertension in the descendants of slaves. I don't know if you recall saying that. Yeah, I do remember that. Um. So I recently mentioned that because I said that. So I was saying that if the protagonist, Bella, could articulate something like that, then from a medical perspective, she had a better leg to stand on. But she was just being extra. Although... I do recognize, and, you know, we've had a whole debate, okay, if you're of African descent and if you're of Afro-Caribbean descent, how do you feel about being called African-American? And then we went down a whole rabbit hole. But you were recently brought up, so see, I remember stuff people say. (laughs) Okay. So that is funny. That's kind of a segue into a little bit of topics I wanted to bring Brittany here about. So y'all know that Gwen is, you know, an old millennial, you know, historian with my white hair. And... I wanted to bring in some fresh blood of Gen Z, okay, to talk about how you're feeling in 2020 and your experience as a woman of African descent. Where's your family from? They're from Togo, West Africa. Okay, so y'all don't know Togo, but I know Togo. Do you want to just describe where Togo is in Africa so the people can do the Googles? Yeah, it's it's on the west coast um right in between benin um and ghana is also at the top of it um yeah very small sliver of a country um yeah. yes and then also which countries like which languages are officially spoken there too 
uh, French, uh, Ewe, which I know that's the traditional dialect, and English. Yes, so awesome. So um, I was telling Brittany that years ago, Gwen had a boss from Togo. So I was like, yes, I remember. So, um, so cool. So anyway, I want to see how you feel because you graduated this year, right, from college. I did. Congratulations. (laughs) So how was your senior year? It's like, how did that go? Like, how did that go with Corona, you know, popping up, you know, in February, March in the States? Like, how was that for you, your senior year and graduating in 2020? Yeah, boy, it was a a ride because we've been hearing rumors about coronavirus in December, like January. Um, And, you know, I actually like wrote a whole like Spanish paper about how like coronavirus is just like the flu and it'll pass. And then March hit and there were like rumors around campus about like admin might like send people home after spring break. And I was like, oh, well, I live off campus, so I'm good. Um, (laughs) But um, so when spring break happens, that's exactly what happened. Admin was like, no one can come back on campus. Um, Then they're like, you can come get your stuff. And then they're like, JK, don't come get your stuff. We'll send it to you. It was a a whole thing. Wait, 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 what? Um, So... So they didn't let they didn't let you guys come and get your stuff. They they shipped your belongings back to you. Yeah. So at first they said you could come, and then they gave you like a two day window, and then they're like, no one can come on campus anymore unless you have like special permission. Either like going back to your like country would be more dangerous, or like you know you just don't have anywhere else to go. Um, but then they changed and they're like, J.K. We'll sh- we'll ship it to you. So people were without their stuff for months. Um, what? The clothes on their back and suitcase. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. But that only works for campus, right? So if you're off campus, you're on your own to handle your stuff. But you're saying like if right. you were in the dorms and stuff, they were going to take responsibility of right. packing up people's belongings and shipping them to them? Yes. Yes, wow. absolutely. Um, I actually like talked to someone in administration. I'm like, you know, a lot of students are worried because uh, – gonna find their drugs and sex toys and (laughs) (laughs) and yeah she goes listen we don't care about that (laughs) like but we're not sending you your weed (laughs) we're not shipping that to you (laughs) um yeah that was a whole thing that's weird yeah (laughs) that's weird i mean i guess this is kind of uncharted territory I guess they do have the right to touch your belongings and send them to you. I I, I mean, I don't know. I I guess. Yeah. I guess like once it's on school property, technically like it's there. It's like they didn't give people another option, you know? So that was it. So were people like protesting or they're like, no, we want our stuff or everyone was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. There were like protests. There were petitions. Um, there were groups made, um, and at the end of the day, like, it was very, I've heard stories about, like, some people's stuff, like, was missing. Some people's stuff went into, like, got shipped to the wrong place. Some people's stuff didn't, like, you know, it, it was a mess even after the fact because they continued to do it even though, like, you know, <laughs> it, people were very against it. Wow. Do you want to just say what state your school is in, at least? Yeah, it's in North Carolina. Okay. Wow. I mean, that is super wild. Well, what are you going to do? 
Right. What are you going to do? So they, so basically you have the clothes on your back. Well, you didn't have that issue though, because you were off campus. Yeah. So yeah. what did you do? Did you just stay? Yeah, I ended up, um, so I had gone home for spring break and I came back to um, my off-campus apartment because I can't do work at home. Um, and so it went from, you know, I was really busy all the time to now I was just like sitting at home, like doing nothing. It felt like the world was ending. Um, my mental health did have a hit. Like there were two months where I just like did not know what to do with myself. And I think a lot of people could sympathize and <laughs> um, and sort of see that in themselves, maybe. Like how, how was it for you during those like two months where things were like going to hell? For me, it was different because you know I'm you know working my career and we just moved we just work from home like I've been technically working from home since the first week of March so and I you know work from home like you know a day or two a week here and there anyway so it didn't impact me as much um other people like my sister was really um my old my eldest sister actually was like really having a hard time in the beginning I was like, mm, I'm, I'm built for this, you know, keep me inside. So everyone's different. And I also didn't have in terms of like, a, I didn't have downtime. So that was also the piece that was different for me where everyone's like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't have any time. Like that hasn't happened. I actually feel like if for me, it's been, and I think it's starting to hit me now where I'm like, wow, it's been because there's no separation of home and work, you get up and, you know, for me, and especially because I work in like a very global company, you know, you're on calls depending 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning and easily goes, you know, you rotate to who you're talking to throughout the world, excuse me, you know, until easily, you know, 8 p.m. at night, most days. And then, you know, you just kind of eat, you know, in between breaks and you're just working and, that you, you just don't have a lot of downtime. So it just honestly feels like I've just been a constant work cycle since that first week of March. I just happen to be home. Like there's no breakup of it. It's just like constant work. Yeah. So it, it, it feels like, wow, I, I haven't stopped working in any capacity. Like because normally if you, you know, you have your commute or something that kind of breaks things up a bit, but you just don't. So it, it was, it's mine. It was a little different experience. And listen, I'm thankful because I did have work, I guess, you know, I mean, a lot of people lost their jobs or didn't, you know, just things, just their lives changed abruptly. Mine just became, I just got, I just feel like I'm just stuck working all the time, which doesn't feel good either. I'll tell you that. Exactly. It's like the separation between like work and home has been blurred. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been a, a wild ride. I mean, I, you, so how did, in terms of, so finally they do that. What about graduation? So what does yeah. that look like? Yeah, so the year in itself going online um, was full of its downs and downs. Um, older teachers can't really work with things, but we ended up having an online graduation sort of like, it wasn't, it was like a compilation of videos. Um, for our graduation is very anti-comatic, yeah. Um, but yeah, it ended up just being that they said that we were gonna maybe have a graduation. Um, 
in the fall. I don't know about that. <laughs> they said it could it could be in the spring or summer. We'll see, cause you know people are already getting sent back home right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like one thing I am glad about is that I got out when I did. You know, like it would have been nice to be class twenty nineteen, like you know. But <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to like navigate this like uncertainty that is going on in some colleges right now. That's true. Technically, you only had to do it for a couple of months, right? And, you know, now people are in it or sometimes some people are starting like going into college from high school in this. So like having no experience in university and this is how they're doing it. Having after ending high school like that, right? So the anticlimactic high school graduation, which is a big thing, right? Like your whole high school rite of passage. And then going into, again, a big rite of passage, going into college in September and it's, or whatever, well, it depends where you live, August. Mm-hmm. And it being like, you know, okay, I'm going for a couple of weeks, uh, psych, go home. So, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and trying to, you know, navigate this. And, you know, and obviously missing your college graduation, like senior year is a pivotal year in university too. Yeah. So how do you feel about, the way your senior year ended. Yeah, I mean, personally for me, I was, you know, in, involved in a lot of different things. And there were, so there are a lot of things I was looking forward to. I had a BEP show, um, you know, thesis presentations, all of these different things that just like came to an abrupt end. You know, um, even, even the research I was doing for my thesis, um, luckily for me, I'd already gotten to the point where I was analyzing data um, and my server was online. But for other people who had to go into their labs to conduct their research, when the, the labs also were like, don't come back to campus. So, you know, some people's whole theses were messed up um, because of uh, coronavirus. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely felt like, you know, we got gypped. I will say though that to some extent, things being canceled, there might have been a silver lining because it does give you more time for yourself, um, like mandatory time for yourself. And so that was just a point of like a good chance to reflect because I spent so much time during the school year just like running around and doing things that I didn't have time to really sit down and reflect on it. So I will say that was the silver lining overall. Wow. Some classes got harder. Some classes got easier, but um, <laughs> it sucked that some professors weren't as sympathetic as you'd think they would be. Well, they're, <laughs> well, they're I guess they're navigating it too. Yeah. So did they give y'all refunds, people on campus though? Because for two months, people couldn't be on campus. So how did that go with the tuition, the, the housing? Um, so they refunded things like parking passes. Like they would like, you know, prorate it and refund you what was left. But for dorms and housing, um, they said they would give people their refunds for, our, we have like um, points on our food cards. Um, so they said they would give people back, um, refund some of those, like that money from, the lunch cards. Um, but for housing, they said they would refund it. My friend had something happen to her. 
adjusted her financial aid. Like they're telling her the whole time, like you would get your housing refund. Then they adjusted her financial aid um, so that she wouldn't get a refund. And so she had to like send a bunch of emails um, before they're finally like, okay, here you go. But I bet like for other people who weren't as like active and I bet it happened to more people, like they just, you know, got, got chips. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's wild. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's wild. I mean, I think this is 2020 is just a weird year because all of these things that we had in place have to be revisited. And then even the way the universities manage their finances and the money they're counting on now, like having to suddenly give money back and, but you still have these fixed costs of, you know, tuition, I mean, of salaries for the staff and the faculty and upkeep, you know, this is, this is not an easy time. Yeah. They say a lot of universities are, closing down like smaller colleges are like closing their doors um but you know i will say that for the bigger colleges you know the ones with billions and billions of dollars in endowments they say that those colleges are more like hedge funds or companies with yeah. colleges attached yeah so like it's, it's no surprise <laughs> that even though cases are higher now than they were when they closed down schools mm-hmm. we still have kids going to school and you get coronavirus clusters and then the school shuts down two weeks later so yeah what a time it's weird but i i will say you know i mean i i the the cool thing not the cool thing let me rephrase that the silver lining is that although i'm sure you were separated from your friends and not able to see them physically well I hope you were and y'all weren't playing no games but um I hope you guys were and we're all up with each other being young and you know ignoring coronavirus but I hope you were socially distancing I but um the good thing is that you have FaceTime video chats and stuff like that where you know we are so connected with social media do you think that's been helpful to like you know still maintain your friendships and your networks especially if you're not in close proximity if everyone had to leave campus yeah i think social media has helped although you know for people who have like a social media problem that problem was like exacerbated um i will say that personally um i well my small like group of friends to the thing where we like got tested and then we're like we're a coronavirus pod and so like we had like our friendship pod where you know every couple of weeks one of us gets tested <laughs> and we're like yay we're negative <laughs> I don't know if that's the best strategy but you know <laughs> y'all do, do a little the most but I y'all do a little the I mean this is the thing about all of this well, actually, I should ask you. I'm I'm here just making a lot of assumptions here. So, especially when you went to school in North Carolina, how were people taking the virus there? Were they saying it was a hoax, right? Because I live in New York. I listen. I've been in the the depths of it from the very beginning, okay, <laughs> and the depths of it from the very beginning, where you know this was the epicenter at the time. How were people taking it down there? Were they like, it's a hoax, you know, because I'm sure there's, you're in Trump country too. So what was the sentiment like, actually? So in the beginning, um, 
my sort of city was pretty good at, North Carolina was pretty good at the beginning. You know, the governor shut down the state um, early. So there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of cases. I actually moved to DC after graduation um, and DC was also good too. I know that now, um, and I'm here to visit for a week, I do see a majority of people wearing masks, but I do see more people like not, especially like older white people, <laughs> um, which isn't surprising, but also surprising because they're the most vulnerable because um, they're old. But, you know, yeah, no, in DC, it's definitely different in that the majority of the people are wearing masks. And it's a lot denser. It's a, it's a city. It's a lot denser in DC too. So that's even better. Yeah. Just, you know, just curious. Well, I mean, it's good that you and your friends were getting tested. I think it's just, you know, obviously who they're around, if they're around people who are more vulnerable. And truth be told, at this point, it seems like we don't even know how people will be impacted because some people, it's like, oh, it was age in the beginning and all the stuff. But it it just seems like it's very variable and we're still learning. Uh, You know, some people are younger and impacting and getting you know, having horrible symptoms and, you know, the recovery is not easy. There are people who for, you know, months till now who've had it from March who are really struggling and can't breathe and stuff like that. So it's, we're in wild times, right? So how do you feel now economically this has been an impact worldwide and you graduating bright eyed and bushy tails from (laughs) university? How do you feel about, and how do you and your friends feel about the prospects in terms of your career and starting your your foray into this world? Yeah, I so in the beginning, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have landed a job offer in December. Um, and of course, for some people who had job offers before it shut down, a lot of them lost it. So um, a lot of people were disheartened. Um, and I feel like in, they say when there's a recession during the year you graduate, like your income decreases by 10% over your lifetime. Wow. And so that in itself scares me, not only because um, of the fact that I am part of that class, mm-hmm. um, but also just thinking about millennials, right? Who graduated in 2010, that recession, and now they're experiencing coronavirus in 2020 and like losing your jobs and you know all these things i can imagine i can only like sort of imagine how even more disheartening that can be um yeah we getting fucked up in these streets (laughs) me my friend we talked about this um yeah she's she actually had she got married young and she had a baby right uh, 2010 and she got laid off when she was pregnant like when she like right she had her child and then now she's like wow like going through it again like you know you work to get back on your feet a couple years later and then boom again so it's it's not easy yeah it's not easy and the the job search right now is very interesting because we have a place right now where there is a lot more workforce than there is demand for that workforce, right? So employers now have this upper hand um, 
and can like give you like worse salaries than they would have two weeks like three months ago um so there's there's that and so yeah there's a lot of worry but i think there's a lot of like hey like it's it's like covid 19 times <laughs> like it's a global pandemic um give yourself a break and you know a lot of some of my like you know fellow graduates are getting like essential worker like roles and living home with family um yeah so some are finding ways to make it work for sure I mean, we have to we all have to be resilient in these yeah. times it's just what it is so you know in the midst of all of this right so coronavirus march hits the u.s hard normally colleges are graduating around may and so late may into june boom george floyd uh ahmaud arbery that news comes up rihanna taylor how is that impacting you and your friends seeing this because gen z is on the was on the front lines of the protests and really being vocal about making folks accountable that this is not okay. Yeah. I, you know, I think we've seen videos like these over and over again. Like it's, it has reached a point where like, I think America was becoming numb, but now that, and that this is why I say there's a silver lining to this pandemic, because now that people are at home, Right, and they're really experiencing this this point where all the inequities and all the things that were like effed up about the the world in this country are becoming more blatant. You know, not only the fact that you know black people are dying disproportionately of COVID nineteen, and like people can be like, oh, because black people don't take care of their health. No, <laughs> it's because America doesn't take care of black people. And so when you have inequities in the health system, you have, you know, racist doctors, you know, you have you, black people being more likely to be essential workers, right? You have all these different factors that were there before um, and were bad, but are now exacerbated by this pandemic. You know, people's eyes are clear and they have time now. So I was, um, I was not surprised that sort of this like, right happened because you know people are upset about more things and so you know just them coming out makes sense i will say though that the amar aubrey videos george floyd videos were to some extent it shook people more to the core you know this was in my 20 years of being alive this was one of the only instances where we had people across all boards being like wow that was messed up and I'm talking specifically about the George Floyd video. Um, and I remember listening to like an NPR podcast where the the woman was like, one of the reasons why this hit home so much is because you had like a white officer that was looking at the camera while committing murder, right? And knew in his heart that he was doing it without impunity, like with impunity, I mean. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think I think us being the generation that grew up with more diversity where we are, right? We had we watched shows like Dora, right? That uh, on its surface was a kid show, but honestly taught us a lot about 
you know, diversity in other people and other shows that taught us about those things. And so just seeing like how we can go to class and talk about things that happened, oh, it happened long ago. But in 2020, it's obviously happening now. And it's like, come on, guys, like, we should have taken care of this. And so I think Gen Z is tired, millennials, millennials are tired. And yeah, I'm not sure if things will change completely, but we're finally moving the wheel. So do you think, so how do you think we're moving the wheel? I think we're moving the wheel because more people are speaking up about inequities we see. And not just black people this time or like people of color, but like why more white people are speaking up and more white people are speaking to each other. Because like, to be honest, like people of color are surrounded by white people all the time, while white people aren't necessarily surrounded by people of color all the time. So if they're not having that conversation, nobody is, you feel me, within that community. Um, so now that you know you have that conversation going on within the white community to other people within the white community, you know, things, I feel like things are changing. I feel like there's more places that are talking about police reform. There's more conversation about defunding the police, which honestly should have been a conversation we've been having long in the past because we know policing doesn't work as well as we think it works. And that social work works and that mental health care works. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're having the conversations. Um, I will say the empty gestures of painting streets, Black Lives Matter, only angers me personally because I feel like it is just like a cheap way out to be like, oh, we care, but you're not doing anything to show you care. Like, I will know you care when I start hearing words about reparations because honestly, like, you know, you can't you can't fix this inequality without writing a check. I'm I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> so you hold the two things I want to say. So I want to comment. The dialogue is good. I'm I can't even say I'm cautiously optimistic. I I'm not. I want to see accountability, and accountability is actually changes in policy and also holding folks accountable in terms of I want to see pay equity in these companies I want to see black people in, in positions of leadership I want to see uh, I want to see the the changes within the even the composition excuse me of the, the legal system of you know where are the black officers where's the pipeline of getting talent so people can be in the community who actually look like community and understand the community like there's so many things that I need to see differently that systemically need to change that do take time, but it really is going to be really uncomfortable because change is uncomfortable. And so to me, a lot of this is performative and not just in the streets, but even some of these conversations are performative and there's no action behind them. So until I see some real legislation and real policies and targets and real plans, actionable plans put in place, for me, I side-eye all of this. Yeah. And I, I side eye the white liberals and the people who are allegedly allies. I side eye all of it because to me, it's all about action. It goes beyond words. It goes beyond conversation. So conversation is great and awareness is weight. But if we keep it all the way funky, black people have been saying this since we, we landed in America and the Americas. Okay. So we've been all yeah. telling you, you're not listening. It's been on deaf ears. 
So now, okay, we're having the conversation again, but I want to see it go beyond the conversation. Yeah. And that's, that's what it's critical to me. And as black people, we need to be very vigilant and vigilant about who we think are the black people who are also having these conversations on our behalf a lot of the time, because I also say all the time that all skin folk ain't kin folk. Right. So yep. you have people, you know, Kanye talking on behalf of black people and what they want. Don't make me feel no better. Yeah. Kanye is the puppet of the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a, a lot of people, I don't feel great about them being like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't feel so great about it. So I just want to, you know, I like to temper that where I do think it's good. And I do think the pandemic does have a silver lining of, you know, people with everything being halted, you do have to sit with it. You got to sit with this George Floyd video. You got to sit with your privilege a little bit. Like, oh, wait a minute. I can't just go distract myself. Like, no, this is real. And this is still happening. The whole world can shut down. The whole way of life can shut down. But racism can't shut down. What does that say? Right? So that's it. But you brought up a topic that I was just, I'm glad you, so you said, girl, you just segue right into things I want to talk about. <laughs> Reparations, cutting the check. Yeah. And it's so funny you said that because let me tell you, I had, I saw something this morning and I'm like, okay, I'm so glad you talked about this because I have a lot of feelings. So this is perfect. So I've talked about recently in a few episodes over the last um, few months about ADOS the American descendant of slavery movement. Are you familiar with it? No, I, I haven't heard of it. Oh, Lord, Jesus, girl. Yes. Um, so there's a group of African-Americans who have been around for a bit pushing ADOS, which is, again, American descendant of slavery, which is also sometimes called as, like, foundational blacks. Mm-hmm. And for them... They, it's a lot of it is tied to reparations, feeling that they uh, aren't tied to reparations, which we all agree. Um, However, there's also a lot of anti-Black immigrant sentiment with it, saying that Black immigrants, so Black people of African descent, like from the continent, Black West Indians, like Caribbean descent people, have benefited from civil rights, affirmative action, the strides, etc., as opposed to American descendants of slaves. Mm. And so they didn't like Barack Obama because he's not an American descendant of slaves. He's not Eidos. His father's Kenyan. His mother's white. And Kamala also is not in American descendant of slaves, right? Her father's Jamaican, her mother's from India. So there is this division. And even with Kamala Harris right now, there were a lot of conservative news pundits. There were some viral videos going on this week about them saying, even white conservatives saying, well, questioning her blackness, saying, well, she's not American black. So is she black? And then they were saying she's not a descendant of slaves, which is not true. Okay, that's not true. But still basically aligning to that same ADOS argument, right? Mm. And on a lot of the things, I follow a lot of pro-Black media, things like that. There's a lot of conversation about ADOS, like, oh, West Indians and Africans come here. They think they're better than African-Americans, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot. There's That's a lot of rhetoric going on right now. 
So for you to bring up reparations, which I'm going to say, I have no problem with them. And straight up, I don't need your reparations. Personally, I don't need American reparations because I know to go to the UK and knock on the door. Okay. But I do believe people should have reparations. However, a lot of African-Americans who believe in ADOS, like, you know, who this ADOS movement are up in arms about black immigrants and seeing people like Kamala and Barack Obama be the face of black America when to them they are not because they don't have a shared lineage. Mm. So what are your thoughts as a person who grew up in America, but your family, you know, is from Togo. I'm not sure. You could have been born there. I'm not sure. Were you born there or here? Yeah, I was born there. You were born there. Okay. So you were born in Togo, but you came here, I'm sure, when you were little. Yeah. So what are your thoughts of ADOS? And then you you saying reparations, which I believe in reparations. I do. No. How do you feel about all of that? Do you think you should get reparations from it? What what are your thoughts? Okay. So I think for ADOS, the argument that you know, you see a lot more representation in these places from like non-African American people. One, it's really interesting for white people, especially Republicans, to start now talking about who's black and who's not when they all just look at us as black people anyway. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So that's funny that now they're bringing that up. But um, anyway, um, I will say that because of the systems that were set up in the United States to first make money off of Black people and when they couldn't, the goal was to subjugate them to the point where they could not, you know, it was so much harder for them to rise up in the ranks, right? Especially someone who has been living in the country and who's had generations of slaves as ancestors in this country, the prospects to climbing that socioeconomic ladder and having that social mobility is just lower, right? You couldn't even own a house here if you were African American until like 1960s, right? Which is a lot of time when you think about all the time that, you know, white people own property and were able to build wealth off of that. And so I don't think it's a surprise that when immigrants come to the United States without, you know, they, they bring with them sort of whatever they had when they left the con- their own countries, um, but they also leave some of it behind. And when they come here, one thing they don't have is the long history of disenfranchisement, right? They come to America and here's, and here's where I argue that reparations when it comes to black people, right? Immigrants in themselves should also get reparations because when you get to this country, right? You are now considered black and an other. Right. If you if you are if you do look of African descent, right? And so that is when all the different systems that are set in place to disenfranchise, you know, people of color start to work against you. Right. Okay, Your so name hold on, hold on. I, we got we gonna have to hold on, break this down. Right, okay. Because I wanna a couple of things. You said people bring with them from their countries immigrants who come here. My family didn't have shit. <laughs> Jamaica's poor as shit. They didn't have nothing. You come you do, you know, you you come, not coming with much, right? So right. I also think that I've read, I've read, you know, it's funny. My friends and she comes here all the time on the podcast. Trinity has sent me a screenshot of on Twitter of there's an Ados thread, and they were like, you know, black immigrants, they have money, you know, they come from their countries with wealth, and they come here. They, I'm like, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. 
yes, there is, there's definitely a proportion of people where just how immigration works. If you look at the Indians who come to America are people who are more educated, things like that. That's how they don't just give out visas to everybody. Let's just talk about how like immigration works. So there is going to be a particular set that you see, but it also comes where you're going to, you're going to see people who are more go-getters, things who are, who are looking to improve their lives, who are trying to find opportunity. Like, you know, there is a self-selection process too of people who do end up coming, who put in the work, who do everything to kind of leave as well. You know what I mean? So there are a lot of different factors of, you know, the, the cross section of immigrants you see who come to America. There are a bunch of Indians who are ignorant. They're all not all doctors in India. Right. But most people, they come to America. Oh, they're IT, they're doctor. But in India, they're not all that. But they don't allow yeah. everyone in. You know what I mean? And so yeah. there, there's also a criteria by which African immigrants, West Indian immigrants are, are able to come in as well. And so you're going to have some of the people who come in are going to be the upper class and middle class who do have means. But then even the people who are from a poorer background, they're going to be people who are go-getters driven, et cetera, because you're leaving something. You're trying to get yourself out of a situation, a bad situation in your, your company, in your country to make a better life for yourself. So you're also going to get a certain dynamic of people who come here but don't take for granted that oh it's all the rich people that that's not that's not true that's not true so I do want to say that and then the other thing is in terms of is it fair for us to really get reparations from the U.S. government because truth be told Togo was colonized by the French shouldn't you be asking the French shouldn't France be giving you reparations right and so there's those reparations which honestly the larger chunk should be from the French but, you know, I was leading into saying that, you know, when you get to the United States, right, all of the systems that work against African-Americans and the people who have been there before start to kind of work against you, right? And that goes from, you know, your name is a certain way, so you're 50% less likely to get a call back, right? If because of your race, you're less likely to get certain parts of places shown to you when you're looking for housing. Right, and so that affects you and future generations. Um, going to a doctor, you're considered black, and chances are doctors have bi- the doctor will have a biases, will treat you not as well as they would have treated anyone else. There you go. Still, possibility of you getting into the prison justice system, like all of these things. Once you step foot into the United States, the land of the great, to get the American dream, based on what you look like, it starts to work against you and so that in itself has implications but when i talk about reparations i don't talk about just like cutting everyone a check although like that could work but i don't think that should come without creating programs that fundamentally target all of the other programs that were created in this racist institution against people of color so like you know making a program to help supplement you know, housing loans to Black families, right? Making a program to fund Black doctors so that there are more Black doctors in the United States. Like all these things that will slowly work to undo what has been done. So I agree, but I think they, the ADOS supporters will say that they want those Black doctors to be of African-American descent specifically, and they don't want 
black immigrants to be to benefit because then it's going against them. And the thought I had this morning, why it's interesting you brought it up, is that I read a comment on a page and I said, because with this Kamala stuff, like, oh, my, listen, all these uh, West Indian pages are going wild because it's bringing to light a lot of the ignorance of just Americans in general, black or white, where questioning whether or not she's a descendant of slavery. Like, what do you think Jamaicans are? Like, I'm just so confused. Like, how do you think we got here? How do you think black people got to Jamaica and the Caribbean and Brazil? How do you think we got here? We were all on the same ships that just docked at different ports. Right. So it's such a slap in the face, this oppression Olympics that people try to play, that it's offensive. It's just offensive. And because of that, someone made a comment that, you know, Eidos, you know, if the real crux of the argument is that you don't want black immigrants to get reparations you need to look at yourself because basically you're being a crab in the barrel because you're begging for white people's money and I was like damn like that cut me so deep this morning I said wow Eidos is that you're saying you know in this oppression olympics like oh no you're getting farther than me because you're African or you're West Indian because I want Massa to give me my money first like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, is that what it comes down to? That's why I say, and I hear your point. Like, yeah, have I, I've, I was born in America and I was raised here my whole entire life. Have I experienced the system of oppression here? Absolutely. And so do I deserve to be paid? I mean, probably, yeah. But I, my position is like, look, if the crux of it is that you, you mad about me getting money over you, you could take it because I'm happy right. to go to the UK, right? I don't care. Like, I don't want to fight with you. And if the fight with you is that you want your reparations and you feel like I'm going to get in your bucket of money, then take it. I'm fine with you taking it because to me, I'm so much more like we are all black. There's a black diaspora, an African diaspora, and we are so short-sighted when we have this division and we have this divide and conquer mentality and this crabs in the barrel mentality where you're trying to say, you know, you're trying to measure how oppressed someone is or was. Americans don't know enough about what happens outside of America to say that you're more oppressed than somebody else. You don't know. Right. You actually right. don't know. All right. <laughs> and I say that as a person who is of Western descent who grew up here. It's like, you can't tell me when we have real talks, my friends, we talk about what like life in Jamaica, what stuff is really like. It, it's not easy. And you know, the difference in when slavery ended, like, okay, it's a 30 year difference. And then slavery ended after in America, it, it, it ended in 1890 in Brazil, 30 years after in America. And, you know, you have to understand how people react to certain things is different culturally, but we are all the same people. So if the fight is like, well, you came and you did better than me. And, you know, it's for the hands outs. Like, cause it's basically you're t- what we're saying is that we're fighting over handouts. So yeah. I don't like you because, and yes, I'm not saying that you don't deserve reparations. Of course we do. But if the argument is like, you're so busy cursing me out and being mad at Kamala and Barack and anybody else because I deserve, you know, the money before you do, like, your mind is fucked. Because that's yeah, not the point. That's, that's not actually the point. not the point. The point is, and it, there's no hierarchy. People are not, and if, I just, I want to be really clear on this. Don't think that white people are treating West Indians, Caribbean, and African people better than African Americans. Like, that is not happening. That's not happening. So if you 
for some reason do that. Give me an example. That's not even true. Like that's your own mental gymnastics and your own stuff going on in your head, making stuff up because it's easier to fight amongst each other than to go against the oppressor. I I will say though that the betterment and treatment and Jane Baldwin talks about like having to leave America and go out to other countries because you know they treated him better because they weren't quote unquote like he wasn't their Negroes you know like he would go to France and like are you American or are you you know African and so once they they asked that and that's from that they treat them better just because there isn't that history of that feeling like you owe them something, you know, that thing of your Negro. So like maybe Africans in the US get treated or like immigrants get treated I don't think better because in America who's treating that's you that, better. That, Tell right. me I was I'm, I'm trying to figure out who's treating me better because I've been treated like shit in so many instances. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out yeah. listen, I grew up, you know, in Brooklyn, you guys know in the beginning, and then I moved to Jersey to a very white area. I'm telling you, I was not treated better. And another one day I will go into the details, but that is not, that's not the case. That's not the case. I was called N-word and this is in the nineties. So like, don't buy children who were, I was playing with. And this is not like, oh, this is the sixties. Like this was in the nineties that, you know, you're playing is like, oh, my dad said, I can't play with you because you're a nigger. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was growing up with. Right. And I didn't grow up in the deep South. It was in New Jersey. So what are we talking about? Right. Yeah. I think it's different with America, like America because of the history of just like thinking immigrants are trying to sap resources and like do this when actually immigrants are the backbone of this country and have always been the backbone of this country. Um, and so just the, the, the rhetoric in the United States is, is different than it would be um, elsewhere, I think. More strongly, more anti-immigrant than it might be. Um... Well, no, listen, I've lived in Spain and they treat African immigrants like trash. They treat North African, you know, Moroccans and shit. They don't treat them that great. Italy, they treat African immigrants like trash. So let's be, I also want to be careful. And I say this a lot because I have experience living outside. I lived in Asia, like America. I I, I defend y'all. Listen, I defend y'all, even though y'all treat, look, it's just all a Stockholm syndrome. I defend you. Okay. (laughs) I defend you all the time. Like, I don't want to make it seem like America is the most racist country because it's not. Okay, yeah. it's actually not. And people in the UK, I'm gonna give it to you because y'all try to make it cute, but it's not. It's that's a very racist system, and they're just more polite about it. But the black people in the UK and the black people in the US, I'm gonna stay in the US because we have a much better chance of so upward social mobility here. Right. And you can't tell me otherwise because I know from experience because half my family's over there. Mm-hmm. So I I, I want to temper it right because there are just cultural differences where Americans are brazen and loudmouth. And just talk a lot of shit, all right? And so it's more open than other cultures where it's more subtle, but it's actually more subversive and it's more prevalent in a lot of different ways. So I think we need to be careful. And, you know, James Baldwin going to another country that, okay, the it's like, oh, you're American, you're just visiting, right? He wasn't living and trying to take resources. If you became an immigrant in France, the French also treat the North African and Middle Eastern and African immigrants like shit. 
So yeah. le- I'm not going to, let's not act like, oh, America, y'all so bad. Y'all all do the same shit. Right. Let's just keep it real. You all do the same thing. Americans just have no decorum. And that's why we look worse. Okay. So we have no decorum mm-hmm. and have any manners. So it sounds worse, but you're doing the same thing. Belgium, come on. Nah, 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 nah. So I'm not going to put it in anti-American, you know, nationalism is not an American phenomenon. That's something that happens everywhere. And with nationalism, you get a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment. I, I would say for African-Americans, it's funny as we're talking about this, part of it is the slave mentality, colonial mentality of divide and conquer of like, oh, you know, you're getting my stuff. But it's also an American mentality where you are fixated on immigrants, right? And it's like everyone who's fixated on immigrants needs to really check yourselves and check your history. Like when we're taking out of the black context, I say it's all the time about Latin American, uh, Mexican immigrants. Like when you guys close the border, all this stuff and you're mad at quote unquote Mexicans and Latinos taking jobs. That makes no sense. Who is employing them? They can't, they're not getting employed by themselves. So if you're concerned that they're quote unquote taking these jobs, which by the way, you're not going to do, but who's employing them? They're not taking the jobs. That means that there is some wage suppression going on where for the American employers, they prefer to employ these undocumented immigrants or so that they can pay them unlivable wage because they don't want to pay you as an American a livable wage. So instead of being mad at the poor people who are just trying to get a nut and just trying to make it, why don't you go protest the employers who are playing this game against you? Exactly. But it's easier to fight against the low man on the totem pole, right? Yeah. Exactly as you said, like, crab mentality. Like, if you all just sort of just help each other, like, I'm pretty sure we could get out of the bucket. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I really, you know, the Eidos thing, and obviously I'm biased because I'm the child of immigrants. I'm the youngest. My sisters were born in Jamaica. My whole family's born, you know, from Jamaica. My parents came here as fully fledged adults. My parents didn't come to America young either. So I feel for it because, you know, I'm American through and through in a lot of ways, you know, and Jamaicans don't consider me Jamaican at all. And Americans don't consider me American. It's, you're, you're in this weird place. And I feel bad for Kamala, who does have problems. And you guys know I have already called her out on the problems. Uh, yeah, she sure does. Okay. <laughs> But I want us to call her out on her policy and her practices and not her racial identity. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like with any candidate that is not an old white man, there's always, you know, talking about, you know, oh, she's too ambitious or is she, you know, family oriented enough to be president? Is she, you know, how does she, all these different things that have nothing to do with, you know, being a good leader that they try to point out, you know, try to change the focus. So I think we should give her a chance, just like how we quote unquote gave Donald Trump a chance. Um, and yes, she's she's a cop. Like, you know, you know, I have my things about Kamala too, but like the best we can hope for is that it'll be better than it is now. I agree. So the one thing is that, you know, you did mention defund the police and I no, and I, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of people don't know what that means. Actually. I think yeah. the, the verbiage and nomenclature, unfortunately 
makes people think it's something that it's not. I don't think people fully get that. But I also think that it's ironic that in light of Black Lives Matter, defund the police, we have a former prosecutor who is a VP nominee. Yeah. And so we are contradictory. <laughs> you know, we're, yeah, we're contradictory. Um, because she is a popo. And I know you guys like, don't say that. And I'm not coming from a hotep <laughs> angle. I'm not coming from a hotep angle. Like, look, she's a prosecutor. At the end of the day, she yeah. was. Right. Yeah. And that is the person who, you know, you're the face. You're defending the police. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. You know, you're the, like... you know, the, what do you, I always say the wrong thing in English. It's, uh, I always think of it in Spanish, abogado de diablo. Like you're the, the, it's not devil's advocate. You're the lawyer for the devil. Like, you yeah. know, you are. Right. Yeah. And just the history of, like, her being a prosecutor in California, her truancy laws, like, withholding evidence, like, all these different things that, like, prosecutors are known to do, right? Especially because they're, like, in cahoots with the police, like, she's done it. And she's also gotten donations from Trump and other, you know, Wall Street is very happy with this Joe Biden Kamala combo, you know? And, you know, when Wall Street happy, that's how you know shit's not good for us. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, the best we can do is, like, give it a chance and hope that, you know, this movement of progression and this movement to, like, actually not just help the top percent but try to help everybody yeah i mean that comes with a job and i think people let's let's be fair like it's not her as an individual it's just the job of prosecutor right Right. that is the (laughs) role and she has done things to to she has done things to amend what she's done and you know make some changes right and as human beings we're all flawed and also you know she shouldn't be held to a higher standard than joe biden who is the presidential nominee so i i want to be fair but i also want to say like look we can drag her and look through every little minute detail but are y'all doing that with trump because we got a lot more evidence with him (laughs) a lot more we got a lot more evidence and a lot more strikes against him and you're not even saying it you're not speaking up against him and so it's not the same thing it's not it's just not the same because he is unhinged and i don't know how y'all can't fathom that (laughs) okay he's unhinged so you're going to say oh it's the machine and oh he does what he says the man is clearly showing signs of dementia you guys are refusing to believe this you guys have someone who's not fully in their their right mind running the country doing nonsense yeah so all this criticism and all these details that you want to drag her save that dragation for him and he needs to be out because like there's a lot of stuff let me tell you first of all all this stuff i'm even hearing y'all talk about her and birthright i'm like lord jesus they about to deport my black ass I was born here, but I'm feeling like y'all. Listen, he is going. Ados, listen, you gonna get your dream because let him come back in. My black ass gonna be gone, girl. You were born here, forget it. You out first, I'm right behind you. I mean, it's it's wild, you know. And aside from that, you know, if we're talking about coronavirus, look at the pandemic. Look at America's supposed to be number one, and we number one in the wrong way. 
right? Mm -hmm. We're number one in the wrong way. This is an embarrassment. We have all these lives and blood on our hands because he refused to take a leadership position and has been pandering to his base. And all of this is just ridiculous. How do you withdraw from the WHO? What is this? What kind of like sorcery and witchcraft nonsense is he in right now? Like this is (laughs) ridiculous. You guys cannot be comfortable with this. So all of these dings you're doing for Biden and and Kamala are not warranted because you need to put that against him. You need to. I just hope Mm -hmm. he doesn't win. I just hope he doesn't. I just hope Trump doesn't win. That's all. And I hope he gets locked up in addition to not winning. Because if that dude is allowed to roam free around the U.S. after all of the things he has done, that's injustice exemplified. I think once he's out of office, they'll be able to do things. Yeah. He's protected that's by what the he's office. So afraid of. That's why he doesn't that's want to come out. That's why he doesn't want to come out. He's building the walls around Washington, D.C. higher. Like He's picking up mailboxes so you can't vote. Like, he's doing... Yeah. He's dismantling (laughs) the postal system to win an election? And y'all are cool with that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you serious? Especially a lot of his supporters, you're in kind of rural areas. And that's not true. He has urban supporters who are in New York in different places. Let me not say that. Like, he has supporters all over the country, and I want to be clear on that. But especially those who are in more rural areas or not so densely populated areas, how could you ever support someone who's trying to dismantle the postal system, which is the cheapest way to send mail and correspondence in, in this country? So he can win the election? Like, th- I would say this. What are you really fighting for? You're talking about making America great again? You need to look at your ideals because these ideals have nothing to do with making America great again. It has to do with keeping America in a state of white supremacy and white privilege because you're so afraid of meritocracy and having an equal playing field. Yeah. Yeah. They do say quality looks like oppression to, you know, the people that are in the process benefiting from it. I don't know. I just, so like, what are you holding up? What are you holding up? You know, the jobs are not, you know, whatever he's promised you, cold jobs. It ain't no cold jobs gonna come. All right. It ain't no cold jobs. I mean, come on. There's so much work to be done in the U.S. Like, we are so behind on technology public transportation mm-hmm. like europe has these light rails that you can go to another country in like half the time it would take to like drive there and we still have not figured out how to have a reliable transportation across the u.s like decrease our gas emissions and, and stuff so that we can actually be an inhabitable planet in 100 years like there's so many jobs to be created that aren't being created because you know, the people in power just want to keep things the same to gain more money. Yeah, I mean, I say that all the time. I I made an emergency episode a few weeks ago because I lost power in that storm uh, we had in New York. I lost power for six days. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is supposed to be America and the infrastructure is so fucked up and we didn't learn anything from Hurricane Sandy. And it's just, you give us your same shit. And then we say that we're the number one country, but we don't have basics here. Like the basics of put the power lines under the ground. That's basic. That's not special. 
right? And that will create jobs because Americans oftentimes, everyone doesn't like to go into education. Everyone is not, and listen, it's not for everybody. Everyone's not going to have a four-year degree. Everyone's not going to do knowledge work. So if we want to create these jobs that, you know, you guys are talking about kind of the lower skilled blue collar work that often goes away and it goes and it gets outsourced, there is opportunity to create jobs in America, but you keep saying you won't fund it. And it makes no yeah. sense. And then these same people are supporting him because of, of lies that we're going to save your coal jobs. And, you know, we're going to save Detroit. No, you're not. Ford is not going to. No, it's not. No, it's not. These are all lies. <laughs> the way the global economy is set up, that's not going to happen. Right. So if you want to really be nationalistic and protect American jobs, you can create jobs right here, actually building our country. So it don't look like a throwback because anyone who comes from Europe or Asia, America's a throwback. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it really is. But Americans don't travel. Yeah. So Americans don't know. So they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's great. Listen, I grew up in New York. That subway is janky. It's the same subway system. It's janky. All right? The subway's janky. All right? And and that's the best one we have in this country. How about that? Yeah. You know, we need more public transportation, period, throughout the country. It shouldn't just be in these metro areas. Right? There should be some train lines. and All of this stuff that, you know, we have such urban sprawl. The traffic is crazy. Like Atlanta, all these places have awful traffic. Let's also invest in building the country to have public transportation. You're protecting the car industry. Look, people don't be be buying American cars like that. Let's keep it funky. That's why Detroit's in the state it's been in. And people are not going to. The Japanese already got you on lock and the Koreans and the Europeans. You know, it's just different now. This is a 1950. Everybody's not buying a Chevy or a Ford or whatever. Right. Like, stop being in denial. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, America's a country of denial. Yeah, it really is. A country of denial. country of irony. You know. And, you know, we just little, you know... Black immigrants at the bottom of the totem pole trying to speak sense. Black women try to speak sense. And y'all don't ever listen to us. And I have to be honest, you know, one last thing and just to kind of wrap this up. With this election, you know, I know a lot of people are putting pressure, I feel, and a lot of the onus they're saying is on young people to go out and vote. And it's on black people to go out and vote. How do you feel about that? I I think we target those people specifically because of the history of just disenfranchisement. Um, it's like, okay, go out and vote because you have been able to vote prior. But I don't think it's just like on the backs of Black people or young people. Because if I'm going to be honest, there's like a lot more people who have a stake in the game. <laughs> so... Um, I think there should be, you know, we can do the best we can. And especially, like, the Black community. Like, you have all these voter suppression laws and, you know, Republicans moving ballot places and, like, you know, shutting things down and making it harder for people to vote. Like, the, the ball isn't all on us. Like, there has to be other people who see this injustice and work with making it more possible for us to be able like why isn't election day a holiday why isn't if anything is going to be a holiday that would make the most sense that the day people are supposed to vote 
you know, we have a holiday where people don't have to go to work, right? But we have all these things set up that don't make it the easiest. So, yeah, so I think yeah. we all should vote. I, I do. And I know a lot of people feel like it, their vote doesn't count, but it does. And yeah. you got to be in it to win it, you know? And yeah. we'll see, you know, in terms of where this ends up. I have to, you know, I hate to break your heart, but I, I do think Trump is going to win again. Oh, no. I, I, I will say for anyone listening who has the time, please sign up to be a poll worker. Um, that is one of the best things that you can do. And it's paid. In some states, you can be as young as 16, right? You got like a four-hour training. Please sign up to be a poll worker because older people aren't doing it because of coronavirus. Mm. And, you know, we need people out there in the polls because people aren't trusting the mailing ballots, which is what Trump wants. And so, you know, those long lines that we see in black communities and other communities of color, like, let's let's all do our part to help this election cycle. Oh, my God, you're so right. I forgot it because you're right. It's always the old people at the at the right. polls. It's yeah. always old people. I've never seen anybody under 60 years old. Right. Lord yeah. So I got a group of my friends to sign up to be poll workers. Um, and I'm just spreading the word. <laughs> oh, I'm going to thank you for saying that. I'm going to do it on this, obviously, this episode, and I'll make sure I do it on my social as well so that people know. Yeah, please sign up to be a poll worker. Please, you guys get paid. It's it's so worth it. We need it because people need to go and we'll see. It, it'll be a close election. You know, at the end of the day, the country's divided. Yeah. And it's been divided for a long time. And every great empire must fall it's just how it goes yeah. it's just yeah. how it goes and the decline the descent is faster than i expected in my lifetime because of trump like i thought we was gonna be able to rock you know maybe my grandchildren you know might be feeling the decline a little bit more but yeah. i hope and I don't know how it's going to happen because if you do have people holding on to the throwback and the 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 dream of you know leave it to Beaver 1950s, where, you know white is right and you know I didn't couldn't do what I didn't have to do anything and just my white privilege just sped me through life, which it still does. But you know, admittedly, there's more competition because of globalization and the browning of America. Okay, yeah, there's a little bit more competition, but why does it have to be a totem pole where? You're insistent on black people being at the bottom than brown people, you know, Native Americans. Why? Like, why does it have to be? You know, why do we have to have this hierarchy in this caste system? Right. The caste system is the right way to it. You know, because that's what we're trying. Making America great again is like, I need to maintain this caste system with mm-hmm. black people at the bottom, brown people at the bottom, and white people on top. You know, and truth be told, there are people of color who were in that caste system who also want to make sure black people stay in the bottom because you don't want to get to the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's is a nation divided because we are individualistic and we are trying to maintain this caste system. So it's going to be a close vote. You know, it's, it's going to listen. November 2020 is going to be continue to be the year for the books because let me tell you by the way Trump is not going to be cool just losing oh <laughs> yeah no there's going to be a whole thing there's going to be a whole thing <laughs> yeah 
He not gonna just be like, oh, I lost. Let me graciously come out this bitch. No, he's not. Right. He is drag him out. going to wild out. He gonna press all the buttons for all the nuclear weapons. Right. <laughs> on his way out, just run his hand across the board. Like. Yeah. He's gonna be like, oh, you wanna do me dirty? Boom. <laughs> Fuck y'all. <laughs> So it's not like a civil war or something because yeah. Uh, yeah, just make an exit plan. I don't know. I don't know. It's, I've been it's not looking good. Listen, I've been really like, hmm. I need to get out of America. Yeah. I've been feeling that so much. It's so weird. I've been feeling it and I I'm okay with feeling like I that actually, but I just feel like cuz corona makes it tri- like tricky and challenging. But I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't think my whole adult life is going to be in America the way it's shaped up. If yeah. y'all really like Donald Trump like rock, right. like he gets, a, <laughs> especially gets a second term, it, it can't be because he's going to turn everything upside down Yeah. when he has nothing to lose. Unless the Senate flips and the House stays Democrat. That is the only like solace True, we saving hope grace. we have. Yeah. yeah. If the Senate flips. Yeah. yeah. But that gets people to vote. Yeah. So it's, uh, listen, stay tuned, everyone. So listen, I appreciate you. Brittany is the representative of Gen Z (laughs) (laughs) and representative of the continent. Wait, do you speak French? No, my parents didn't teach me French. I learned Awe, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and how do you maintain it? Just talking to your family? Yeah, talking to my family. Okay. And do they pressure you to, like, be with a guy from Togo? No, they want me to be with a white man. Uh, how yeah. you want to end a podcast with that? You can't end the- <laughs> <laughs> You can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the whole thing is, like, you know, if you're with a white man, you can get, like, a slip. You can, you know, feed off his privilege. Right, like he has privilege that will help you. You know, there was that whole story about like someone trying to appraise their house and they had pictures of their family of African statues and the dealer appraised the house for lower than expected. Then they took down all the pictures of themselves, had her white husband be the only one there, took down all the African statues and the appraisal was like a hundred thousand dollars higher. Jeez. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> to access his white privilege. Is your boyfriend yeah. white? No, he is African American and Jamaican. Oh Lord, yeah. I'm sure they don't like that. Hi, <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm praying for you, girl. Listen, yeah. <laughs> that Jamaican side. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's. I mean, ugh, okay, we're, we're ending it on a weird note, but yeah. I understand. At least they are articulating it from a place of understanding privilege and access as opposed to you know oh white is right and you know it's better or you know downgrading black people it is saying like look if you want to try to get on this train and get something for upward social mobility hitch on to that which is i think it's at least it's transparent and it's it's fair as opposed to, you know, like, oh, well, you know, black men are this. I mean, that's a different conversation. This is like, look, yeah. you know. I mean, there's some of that, too, for sure. 
<laughs> that they say. Um, <laughs> but they try to back it up with, you know, like. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Yeah. I mean, it's complicated. It's all complicated, you know? Yeah. It's complicated what you mean. <laughs> like, I, oh, <laughs> so, I mean, oh, Lord. Do you have a brother? Yeah, I do have a brother. Do they tell him to marry a white woman? Um, interestingly enough, they don't. I didn't think they so. They don't. I didn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, they do not. <laughs> okay, girl, I'll have to bring you back for another episode because right. I can break this all down. <laughs> because that is a whole... I understand your parents' logic. Mm-hmm. Y'all don't drag me. Brittany and I will have this conversation later. I understand the logic of the son should be with a black woman. <laughs> I understand <laughs> it. I understand it. To be continued. To be continued. To be continued. Okay. Well, listen, we've been going on for a little while now. Um, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. I appreciate yeah, you joining. You me on. This is fun. <laughs> and enjoy your time in North Carolina. Thank you. Stay safe and wash your hands. And, you know, if you guys are going to be out there, obviously, I hope you're wearing masks and stuff. Me too. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I would love to have you back, please, because we're going to have to break down that whole thing. But um, let me know. We'll we'll schedule a time. Yeah, we'll (laughs) schedule a time. And listen, everyone, sign up to be a poll worker. Brittany is 100% right. That's super Mm -hmm. important. Just search your state and poll worker and things will come up. (laughs) yeah absolutely all right girl thank you so much um that's it this has been gab with gwen folks till next time peace